Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to Unscrewed, the show that knows that real liberation includes sexual liberation. I am your host, Jacqueline Friedman, and welcome to another episode this week. We are going to wring our hands and clutch our pearls and worry about the children. Just kidding. But we are going to talk about young people and sex and how to teach the children well. You know, this is a conversation that goes wrong so many different ways and that mostly we hear on this high level about abstinence-only education and what the sex ed curriculum should be. But in fact, we need to be thinking about it much more broadly, much more creatively in ways that center young people more and much earlier. I know everybody freaks out. Oh no, you want to talk to young people about sex. But if we start talking to young people about their bodies and how they feel in them and pleasure and destigmatizing them and also getting clear about where your body and your rights and entitlements end and other people's begin, we could unscrew a lot of things at one go. And there is no one else that I would want to talk to about that than Heather Corinna, who is the founder and proprietor of scarletteen.com, the best sexuality resource on the web designed for young people. Bar none, come at me. You cannot convince me otherwise. <laughs> she also happens to be a friend of mine. And she has a new book out called SEX. It's actually a, a new edition of a book that has been out for a while and that I've been recommending to people for a very long time. So Heather, thanks for coming back on the show. Thank you. So as you know, we like to start off the show with just a little series of lightning round questions so the audience can get to know you a little bit. So tell me, what has been making you the happiest this week? Vegetables. Growing vegetables. Nice. What's ripe right now? What are you harvesting right now? All the raspberries. <gasps> and the beans are getting, the peas are getting awfully close. We ate through all of the lettuce. It is gone. But I have a fence full of nasturtiums all coming in. We'll eat them. Do you put nasturtiums in salads? Mm-hmm. They're spicy. Mm. So, yeah, vegetables. Nice. What's the best sex advice you ever received? Oh, my gosh. You know, it's actually going to sound kind of weird, but the setup me and my dad had was that he was absolutely fine with me having a sex life when I was a teenager, but absolutely held the line that it was only an okay thing for me to do if I could be responsible. So I needed to take care of my birth control. I needed to get tested. I needed to be safe. I mean, it set a nice foundation for me understanding that good times were awesome and there's not a problem with sex, but responsibilities were involved. So I wanted to have fun and I need to take care of them, <laughs> you know, plainly and not in a shamey. And it sounds like very directly. Yeah. Yeah. And very like, you know, in a relaxed way, like this isn't a punishment. This is because in order for this to like stay fun and me to be cool with you being it, you need to be safe and not sick. That's great. Yeah. 
What's the sexuality related news that's been making you the maddest or saddest lately? Oh God. Uh, sexual assault happened to a girl at a high school and basically she wound up punished for it. Mm. And it being about her being purportedly slutty. Ugh. So, you know, having to deal with all the things you have to deal with post-assault and then kicked out of school. They usually make it into the media, one of those, every few years. It's usually a girl in middle school is more often what happens. And it's, yeah, that makes me really angry. Yeah. This time, though, she had a marvelous mother. Her mother actually immediately pushed back against the school. And that's great. Also, not usually part of the picture. So there's a bright side to how that's being played out or at least being coped with. We take the hope where we can get it. What's the biggest sex myth that you once believed but you don't anymore? That you needed to be sexy for other people instead of sexy for yourself. Oh, how did you learn otherwise? Some of it is I just got lucky enough to have sex partners that that was so totally not how they felt and lucky enough to be around people that were you know, just kind of relaxed about it. And, you know, what moves I gradually took to be like, oh, I'm not actually super into this. <laughs> like, I turn them on, but I'm like, I'm not very turned on, but I am this, you know, to just kind of shift and not have it be a big deal. Yeah. And finally, who's one of the bravest people that you can think of who's working to unscrew the sexual culture in some way? Elizabeth Smart. Oh, Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things that she's pulled up that rarely get pulled up, especially in this context, you know, pushing against abstinence-only sex education and the messages that they have and how horrible the sexual impact is, especially if you're someone who's been assaulted or abused in any way, which, you know, I mean, like, when we even expand it past sexual assault, especially with adolescents and young people, more adolescents have experienced some kind of abuse than not. Sometimes it's sexual abuse, sometimes it's family abuse, sometimes it's peer-to-peer. -peer. And anything that tells you that you're sullied or spoiled or insists that some kind of abuse was something you wanted and was about you and not about what the other person or people did to you is it's so powerful. And again, coming from the place that she comes from is so brave. And so clear. A lot of times when you have somebody who has that level of notoriety, they're telling a more sort of sanitized story about how violence is bad. But she's going straight for abstinence only and slut shaming. And, you know, like she's going right for those connections that you don't expect someone in her position to be going for. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So Heather. Yes. You have a new edition of your book called S.E.X., the all-you-need-to-know sexuality guide to get you through your teens and 20s. I got that right, right? Mm. Okay. So the book is amazing. I haven't seen the new edition, but I've been recommending the first edition forever. It really is comprehensive from, like, how to be a good person having sex and also the mechanics and getting to know your body and gender. And it's really great. Why, knowing how hard it is to work on a book... <laughs> <laughs> Why on earth, Heather, did you decide it needed an update? Ultimately, it is a health book. So this kind of information changes, you know, even the effectiveness rates of certain birth control methods and what's available and not available and the statistics on certain STIs and what treatment is available. Emergency contraception was, you know, there was different information about it and access to it and how to get it. And the same thing even with things like 
transitioning and hormones or gender confirmation surgeries. So there's that. It's been fully edited, so it's a completely gender-neutral perspective. Certainly there are times that we talk about certain gender roles and dynamics in which I'm being specific, but otherwise it's third-person gender-neutral the whole time. That's amazing. It's I'm so happy about it. It's And, you know, from an editing perspective, Oy. you know, you can't just do like a find and replace. But so worth it. Just even for myself and the way I identify, I'm so much happier that it's this way. So there's that. That's a big one. There's a new chapter that there wasn't in the last one called You, Me, and Everyone Else. It's like a little nod to Miranda July there. And it's basically to help readers navigate what do your friends say and feel about sex. Yes. And then the media, right, including sexual media, which sometimes is pornography and sometimes is reality television. The abuse and assault chapter was totally redone. There's also a lot in there now about bystander intervention. There's a new micro section in the sex and the law chapter, which was in the last one about some basics of how to not completely screw yourself if you find yourself dealing with the justice system in any way. That makes me very happy. Isabella Rotman redid all of the illustrations and we favorite in there is actually a panel we made together called Cheap Date. That's of, you know, places you can go on dates. Oh, fun. Like where? Well, you know, like you want to have a sky view picnic, you go on your roof, you can go to free festivals, you can go out to dinner by literally making dinner and sitting and eating in front of the window. I think that's my favorite. So yeah, I mean, I'm happy it's done. I'm, I'm going to be real about that. <laughs> you, know, oh, you don't have to tell me. I'm in the middle of it. How it goes. I'm happy it's done. But I'm also, I'm happy it's done. I'm so excited that this happened. I mean, there's still some books that sell really well right now that haven't been updated in 20 years. Yeah. But parents had it when they were young, so you're giving your child an otherwise good book, but that presents HIV as a death sentence. Mm-hmm. You know, sexuality and sexual health information being current is really important to me. I mean, we update things on Scarletine all the time. Your sex life is in the present. What you're informing it with needs to also be as close to in the present as is humanly possible. So, I mean, you talk to and work with young people around sexuality all day, every day. Are the kids all right? How are they doing in terms of getting the information and the social context that they need to have the kind of sexual attitudes that you were lucky enough to grow up with? They're as all right or not as all right as almost anybody is in adolescence, right? Adolescence is really, really wonderful in some ways and really, really freaking hard in a lot of other ways, especially since the world is not generally set up to be supportive of adolescence, supportive to make money off of them. It's supportive to control them, right? But like it's not particularly nurturing of a time of life that involves radical change happening really quickly. They're smart. They seek out information. We definitely have more ways for everybody to get it right now than you, even than you did 10 years ago. There's certainly the issue of how literate people are in terms of filtering that information and figuring out what's credible and what's not credible. But generationally speaking, not universal, but just in a broad way, they're quite good at making efforts to try and find what they need. And that's a big deal. If then you can get the media literacy piece so that they can filter it and use it, then they're also making more of it. Like it's, they're disseminating information a lot. And that's- Are the media literacy skills there? Are the like porn literacy skills there? Are the TV watching skills there? 
by and large, no. If it was up to me, age appropriate, stage appropriate, which is a little better. Media literacy would start in preschool, just kind of like sex ed, right? We're going to start as early as we can with the things that make sense with where that person is, right? So even if you think about in preschool, we've read a lot of pieces, and I'm glad that they're out there to talk about gender representations in, you know, cartoons and Disney movies and all of those things. But unless parents are having those conversations, that's not happening in school. Usually that should totally be happening in school. So for a lot of them, those skills really aren't there or they're just still honing them. They're newer skills and they're learning them and they're learning them in a way that's tough to learn them when you have such intense media saturation. There's some great supports out there for that. New Moon Girls has all done really good work on it. Gina Davis's organization is doing great. Amy Poehler's also. Common Sense Media is actually a pretty fantastic site. I'm not the biggest fan of the review they did of us. I think it was a little conservative, (laughs) but I'll take it and people read it and they're smart and there's good tools there for people that piece is there. Well, but I also think that beyond that, we need to agree on what our values are. I mean, one of the things that's so valuable about Scarletine and about SEX, but also so fucking rare that it is shocking and refreshing is is the absolute judgment-free lack of generalization about what young people should and shouldn't want or should and shouldn't be doing. The stance of just trusting that young people can learn to make their own responsible sexual decisions and that they might vary from the adults in their lives and that could be okay. Can we do like a little origin story? Sure. You have been working on sex education from a wide variety of angles for a long time. Like how did you get interested in making the world safer for people and their sexualities and their bodies? Sure. My experience with consensual sex growing up was I had the idea that it was all really good, that it was all really fun and there was nothing wrong with it, regardless of the gender of the people I was having sex with. There were a bunch of messages against that that just didn't land with me. And then just my personal experience countered them so much that it rendered them silly instantly. Certainly I had some friends ask me some things that would give it away, but I think it probably wasn't until I was in my mid-20s that I realized that there were a lot of people that that was not the experience that they were having or had had. There would just be this kind of sense of wonderment with my sex life. And so I think, you know, that was kind of one of the seeds of it is realizing that there was a need for certain informational pieces, but then also more an ethos, a set of values or something that was very counter to the more frequent narratives. And then I started teaching. So 19 was like my first teaching gig. And, you know, I'd kind of come in in the arts and writing and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with that. And teaching was something I did as like a, you know, I need to pay the bills, a side gig. But then, you know, I really liked it. I was certainly as good at it as I was at the other things that I was considering putting my stock in. And then I think just by virtue of my attitudes, you know, when I was teaching early childhood ed, if anything came up in anywhere where I was teaching, where it was like remotely sexual or gender body oriented, like inevitably I got asked to deal with that. I think it was other people identifying what I was good at really (laughs) before I identified. And I think really what they were lighting on wasn't a sense of she's so good at this job. It's she's 
the one who isn't uncomfortable. Right. When I was in Montessori training in my late 20s, you know, it was recess and all the kids started like congregating in this corner. And one of the other teachers went over and came running back to me and was like, Heather, if you have to go over here and deal with this. And I didn't know what it was. Did somebody hurt themselves? Is there a dead animal? I mean, I was like kind of low man on the totem pole. And I think actually <laughs> when you are, here's the funny thing. When you are, you get assigned things like sex because no one else wants to deal with it. Like, look at who the sex ed teachers usually are in high school. It's like who drew the short straw, right. um, which is terrible, but it's realistic. It's often what happens. And so I go over there and one kid is holding up a used condom <laughs> and just staring at it. And these kids are how old? Three to six. First of all, I'm thinking, oh, from a disease perspective, like you're <laughs> washing your hands and I have to get this out of your hands. But also, too, you know, they're looking at me like, oh, what is it? And I'm thinking, yeah, no, it's too soon for this other stuff. Also, this is private school. Half their parents will have me hanged. And so I just said, ew. And they said, what? And I said, it's a balloon and somebody spit in it. And so, of course, they throw it over the fence being like, oh, God, yuck. You know, and I'm like, oh, we got to wash your hands. Yeah, I don't want somebody else to spit on my hands. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. That's very quick thinking there. So you have to be comfortable, right? Right. Be comfortable enough to not blurt out. It's a fucking used condom or, you know, or whatever. Or I'm pure. You know? I don't know. Whatever somebody would yell. And so kind of fast forward, I was doing some fiction writing, actually, and adult writing mostly for sexuality. And then started Scarlet Letters, one of the first sexuality sites online for adult women. R.I.P. Scarlet Letters, much missed. I know. Really within no time at all of doing that, I started getting emails in from teenagers asking me sex questions. I mean, that was like one of the only visible sex things that wasn't porn. But I knew what I was doing. They were easy questions. And it would be things like, I'm not having an orgasm and my boyfriend doesn't care. I don't know how to use a condom. Where do you get a birth control pill? Or what is this crazy thing called my vagina? I mean, it was stuff that you lived to be at that point. I was in my late 20s and your late 20s, having a lot of sex, getting sexual health. I grew up in a hospital, so that piece. And then knowing how to be a teacher. So because there wasn't anywhere else to send them, I just started answering them and then they started sending more. And then we published a few. I was like, let's just put up five of these letters and then I'll walk away from this business. <laughs> and the minute that we made like a subsite with those few, it's funny at the time I thought that I was picking between teaching and doing the internet or like doing sexuality. I didn't really envision it as I'm making a choice between teaching this and in this way and here and teaching this and in this way here. I mean, now it's clear that that's what it is. I never stopped teaching. My classroom sure got a lot fucking bigger. And the subject matter shifted. Well, kind of. It's much more complex, to say the least. But the things that you tell six-year-olds about interactions with other people and about sex in their body really isn't that different than the same advice you give a high schooler. What are we saying? Be nice to other people. Don't push. <laughs> Ask before you go through their stuff or touching them. Mm -hmm. Be kind to each other. Wash your hands. <laughs> Don't put your hands in a pile of yuck and then put them in your mouth. And some things are for home. Yeah. Obviously, the situations are much more complex. And so right. the, what I say has to be much more complex. And the way we can talk about it is much more. And they're more complex people. Right. The ways it plays out are much more complex. But the ideas are the same. Yeah. I mean, it's not all that different. <laughs> so here I am. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Tell me about the world you want to live in when it comes to sexuality. It's a sensory way that we live. Like there's something to me that always seems so ridiculous where we don't, I mean, besides kind of the focus on the impact of food and what people weigh, blah, blah, blah. Like we don't super hyper focus the way that we do on sex on, you know, how people should or shouldn't enjoy the food that they eat. Eating is probably the, it's not the best example of this, but smelling, right? The smells that we smell and what smells do we enjoy and how much do we enjoy the smelling of things? What are our favorite smells? What are smells that we hate? There's not all these messages saying, well, you shouldn't, that's a bad smell, right? (laughs) Right. This is something we do in our lives that engages all of our senses. And it's just a way that we connect to ourselves and other people in the world. The fact that it's made political at all, that it's made religious at all, that it's made universally bad or universally good rather than it's it's the experience that people have, right? And like up for them to use what words they want with this. It doesn't confound my mind because I know enough about world history, you know, to <laughs> where it came from and how we got here. But it confounds my mind in just the sheer flagrant ridiculousness of the thing. Yeah. And the bummer is too many people figured out that it was something so integral and so important to so many people that it was a great way to control other human beings institutionally. It's not a way to live. It's not healthy for people. You know, it doesn't make us feel good about ourselves. It doesn't benefit our lives. We're not like, what would my life be without feeling like a sexual pariah? I mean, they, you know, <laughs> nobody is saying this. Right. If I gave you a magic wand or dictator powers or however we want to frame it. Don't dictator. If I made you dictator, what I would, would... be the dictator of whatever. I'd be like, I dictate, well, whatever y'all want <laughs> Worst dictator of all time. (laughs) (laughs) What would be different about how young people grow up and learn about sex? Would it be about changing the way we teach it in schools? Where should we be teaching it? What should we be teaching? Let's focus on the U.S. for now, just as we can't talk about the whole world in one podcast. What are the key changes that you would make to the way that young people learn about and explore and experience sexuality? I think a lot of this stuff starts with some of the earliest related messages. Gosh, even when somebody's a toddler, sometimes for people when they were infants happen, which is setting up the body as a place of 
acceptable places and unacceptable places and tool for, you know, potential evil and just not, you know, kind of celebrating that bodies are cool and they're awesome and they're weird and they're wonderful and there's not parts of them that are wonderful and parts of them that are evil. All the parts are good parts. Yes. You know, even when I think about the experience so many people had, and I know that was part of mine too, of even like entering into puberty and how much creepy overattention and shaming and control and all of these strange things happen when you're talking about children and masturbation. How many children had their hands whacked away from their what was usually framed as filthy, nasty genitals? If you came into, let's say by the time you were, I don't know, 16 or 17, and the overwhelming amount of messages, like not even half and half, almost unilaterally that you got about your body and other people's bodies, right? Everyone's bodies is that your body is this crazy, interesting place of wonder Hmm. and weirdness and ways to experience the world in a million different ways and didn't have bad parts and didn't have gross parts and didn't have parts that Satan lived in, you know, (laughs) whatever. They didn't belong to you. They were a tool of the devil. Or you were saving it to give somebody else. Absolutely. Right. It belonged to some future person you haven't met yet. All ours is the other one, too. It's your body. It's yours. That's it. It doesn't belong to your parents. It doesn't belong to later your boyfriend or your husband or your country. It belongs to you. You know, there's so many other aspects of sexuality, but just even that all by itself, even with all of the other thorny other parts in there and parts that can be tricky, if that was there all by itself, everything else would be infinitely easier. It would be a quicker path (laughs) if it wasn't this way from the start at all to, you know, create a sexual identity and a sexual life that was good, that whatever it looked like, it was a good part of you and a part of your life that was a good part of your life that you felt really benefited your life as much as say a community that you choose to live in because it's your favorite neighborhood and everyone there, it's just the best. Yes. So now I'm going to ask you a harder question. Sure. In the real practical world, starting from where we are right now, what would be on your agenda top three things that you wish people were doing more work to change so that we could get closer to that world you just described? Sure. One thing I can think of, and you know, who knows? I love what I do and I love the population that I work with, but I actually kind of miss the little guys. Like the first eight years I was teaching was the little ones. They're so weird. They are. You know, I have two and a half year old nephews now. You don't have to tell them that it's okay to let their freak flag fly. They're such weirdos. I love every time they do something completely bizarre. I'm just like, they're the best. They're just the best humans. I miss them. Yeah. And so maybe eventually this is where I'll circle back to. But one of the things is that there isn't a lot of early childhood education with this stuff. You know, I'm going to call it sex ed, but it's not at that age. It's, it's really not about sex. Again, your body, what are its parts? What are the names of its parts? You know, something a three-year-old, they're asking you the names of everything, right? Like that's totally in their interest and in their wheelhouse and it's their body. Why should they not know about parts of their body? And should that be happening in preschool? Should we be training parents how to do that? Do you have ideas about how we make that change? 
I think in preschool, Bay Area Rape Crisis, they wrote a preschool sex ed curriculum. And it's good. And like I said, it's things like your body parts. And it's things like talking about, you know, how it's okay for other people to touch you and how it's not okay, you know, how it's okay for you to touch other people, right? And that we get to have privacy. It's completely appropriate for where most kids that age are going to be at. And it fits the things they're asking about and doing anyway. But what is that? When you say preschool sex ed, you can't even usually talk about this because people go to this weird place where they're having heart attacks because apparently we're talking to preschoolers about how to properly engage in oral sex, right? (laughs) So probably even it would be smart and not deceptive because it's really not about sex to call it something else. Body education or... Really what it is, is it's the foundational stuff. So if you build off of that in your life and in other kinds of sex education where you've started knowing the name of all your body parts, including your genitals, knowing that people need to have boundaries when it comes to touch to be healthy, knowing you deserve privacy and choice because your body's your body, you build off of it as you go. You know, by the time you're getting into third or fourth grade, people are having crushes. As somebody who's an educational theorist at heart, sometimes we always think, well, where does that go? And with any of these things, I think, well, it goes everywhere. We're just not going to do it the same way in the same places. So for sure, it would be awesome if parents, and again, not just parents also, extended family members, right, community, this was all in that piece, in the way that it works to have it in that piece. And again, preschools, elementary schools, the way that we can do it in a school environment, it's there. Then we have books that are also supportive and they're there for whatever school, independent learning, working with parents. If people have any kind of other communities, whether those are church communities, right, or other kinds of service communities that their family and one them take part in growing up in their communities, that's there. A community centers that right? Like so I mean when we say education, everybody kind of always thinks in an institutional way, but really it's learning. We have all these different environments that can be learning environments. Well, and it's about transforming fear into curiosity, I think, ultimately. I think a lot of the reasons this stuff isn't taught or explored in those contexts is because the conversation is shut down by a history of, of fear around the subject. Well, I think sometimes it's fear. Sometimes the fear comes from the history of control. We know historically sex is something that for a very long time in many, many places, if not most places, has been used as an, or a means of social control. And the more marginalized a population is, usually the bigger the hammer, <laughs> even just attempts to control women's reproduction. This is a means of social sexual control. We use the word fear fear a lot. And for sure, some people I think are experiencing fear, but I think other people are just intimidated. You can feel deeply intimidated, like it can feel earnestly scary and shut you down to feel intimidated and also to not have the right kind of sense of entitlement, right? Like, I mean, all the sexual abuse that we live with, we know that there are certainly some people who feel entitled around sex and sexuality, but I mean of your own. An entitlement to your own sexuality, an entitlement to your own sex life that's yours. That's one thing that we see a lot at Scarletine. People coming in who both want and clearly seem to need a good deal of validation that they are entitled to try and make the sexual life that they want. And they are entitled, so long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, to express their sexuality and to figure out what that means. And whatever their sexuality turns out to be, they are entitled 
to knowing themselves and having other people treat that sexuality as if it is all right. Yes. I had a really shitty adolescence. Well, you know, it was bad in so many ways. And I feel so lucky that I had a really good sex life because I think it saved my life in a lot of ways. You know, there were other things that did that as well. My music saved my life. My writing saved my life. But I feel like sex is kind of set up as this thing that at best is not harmful or isn't bad or is traumatizing and terrible. And for me, it was one of the rare places where I could get a respite from the parts of my life that were awful and hard. There was one almost guaranteed place that I could go and de-stress and just be weird and just have a (laughs) good time and not have to think about the whole rest of the nightmare mess that was my life and my life history at that point. It was very freeing for me. It was a really safe, I mean, it wasn't safe because I was taking a butt ton of risks, you know, not like horrible suicidal risks, but you know, risks. I was not always sleeping with people I'd known for a while. It's not like crazy risky, but there's risk involved. But there's always risk involved. There's also risk involved in deciding you don't want to have sex with anybody until marriage. Yeah. One of the things that we're dealing with, and that's kind of where I was going, is that we also seem to hear from a lot of people who are very risk averse. You know, you can't really make a very interesting, right, and satisfying sexual life or really just intimate life, right, interpersonal life, if you won't take any emotional risks. You have to, right? And whether that risk is, I'm going to tell this person what I'm into and they might think I'm super weird, right? Or that risk is really bearing your soul to another human being. Or even when that risk is like, we've heard from people who, what sounds like holding back from going through their full sexual response cycle to orgasm because they don't want to be vulnerable enough to look weird or just be that kind of vulnerable with somebody else. So you can't have this super rich, compelling, amazing, feels like you sexual life if you are completely risk averse. It makes sense to manage your risks wisely, right? And stick your toe in sometimes if you need to be somewhat comfortable, but you also need to be willing to be a little uncomfortable. As long as you're smart about what risks you're taking, right, and we can help you with that, you're going to need to take some risks and it's going to be worth it. Well, Heather, I hope that the risk of coming on the show was worth it for you today. <laughs> Do you like my transition there? We shall see. I can't be as risky as the last No, it's definitely not as risky as the last time. We'll link to this in the show notes, but the last time I had Heather on the earlier version of the show, we, we were... drunkenly recounting stories of bad sex and that was the entire episode it was it was a great time but seriously thank you though for coming back on the show where can people find your work and the book as of today it's dropped on amazon by july 12th i believe it should be in all of the places and you can keep up with that so anybody that goes to the website that's www.scarletine.com always on the front page is a link to the book and i kind of keep updated where you can get it and last time i kept a list of all the libraries that had it but because it's new and they don't have it yet it'll be a while before we have that list that's the other thing for people to remember is that if you can't buy a book you can have a book (laughs) yes go to the library your parents will probably let you go there without giving you any grief so you'll get time away from home and can people follow you somewhere on the social medias 
So Scarletine is just at Scarletine on Twitter. We also have a Facebook page. We also have a Tumblr. The Tumblr's just hell yeah, scarletine.tumblr. People can follow my Twitter, but they need to be warned. Um, Three <laughs> <laughs> rants ahead. And right now all it is is mostly election cycle distress. <laughs> yeah, so that's just uh, Heather Corinna on Twitter. Excellent. And folks can find me at Jacqueline F. That's J-A-C-L-Y-N-F as in Friedman on Twitter and Facebook. You can join the conversation about this episode. What kind of sex ed did you have growing up or are you having? What kind of sex ed do you wish you'd had? Use the hashtag unscrewed on Twitter to join in the convo. You can also email me unscrewed at JacquelineFriedman.com. Friedman is F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. To let me know what you thought of this show. If you have ideas for future shows, I always love hearing from listeners. You can find Unscrewed wherever fine podcasts are available, iTunes, Acast, Stitcher, as well as at theestablishment.co, the producer of this fine show. When you are at iTunes, if you want to help other folks find us, please, please give us a few lines worth of a review. Give us five stars. That is how we work up the rankings. I hate begging for it, but I'm willing to beg for it. Please make me happy. Give me a review on iTunes, but only if you like the show. If you don't like the show, go screw. Uh (laughs) This show is produced in collaboration with The Establishment and edited by yours truly. Our cover art is by Nicole Dodonna and our in and out music is by The Pink Tiles. Until next week, I'm wishing you safe and happy sex lives. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.